0: listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the traditional lands of the Karankawa, the Chumash, and the Tongva people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Konichi, what's up y'all? Welcome to the Militantly Mixed podcast, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine Fury, aka The Blazing Blurred, the busiest mixed-race, bi-gender, bisexual, polyamorous, atheist, comic book nerd, cat mom, and two-time Asian American Podcasters Association's Golden Crane Award-winning podcaster in this podcasting game. I feel like I have a lot to squeeze into this intro, as per usual, but I'm I'm gonna try to do that and also keep it under 13 minutes, so let's get it. First thing, did y'all check out the Militantly Mixed IG Live on Monday, May 30th with myself and our cousin, Aaron Douglas Keller, who has finally dropped their memoir, Marginalize. Uh, You'll be familiar with Aaron from episode 118 from back in 2020, in which we, we had just met and he was just in the early process of, I think he was already writing Marginalized at the time but he wasn't close to production or anything like that. So we got together and to talk about his experience back then. Since then, he's participated in a number of the, uh, social distancing hangouts, uh, also participated in, uh, 12 days of mixedness that I did a couple winters ago. And I also got to consult a little bit on the blurb on the back cover of Aaron's book. So I was very grateful that he considered me, uh, to, reach out to as one of like his uh, checkers or advisors and in a small way within the book, I feel like I get to be involved and I really appreciate that. So we did an IG live so we could talk about his experience writing. And one of the biggest things that came out of that Instagram live, it's still available. So go check Instagram if you didn't get a chance to see it live, in which in diving into their own mixed race identity questions, also discovered a lot of other stuff about their own identity as well it opened up the door to not just race but other aspects of his life so I really am excited for him that he has that experience I was super inspired I've been ho-humming about writing my own thing for a while I'm I have a I have an outline and that is as far as I've gotten over the course of the last couple years I've, I've actively been talking about like stopping everything and doing this and um Hearing what Aaron had to say and hearing what my guest today's episode, Nabil Ayers, had to say, I think I'm finally ready to to block out time and start this process. So I'm very much inspired by these two, and um, I hope you check out the Militantly Mixed Instagram Live with myself and Aaron um, because it is still available. And then also check out today's episode as well, which you're all listening to. So I'm going to put a link to the show notes and how you can order Aaron's book as well. And I'll also put a link to the show notes of the memoir of the person who you're about to listen to as well. And I'm going to put a link to my favorite black woman-owned bookstore here in Texas, Kindred Stories, uh, because I'm always encouraging y'all to buy your books from independent bookstores, small businesses, especially black and brown-owned, queer-owned, femme-owned bookstores, uh, I encourage you to find a bookstore in your own area so that your dollars circulate within your own zip code. But if you do not have black and brown owned, queer owned, femme owned, whichever intersection bookstores in your area, go ahead and reach out to kindredstorieshtx.com because uh, I know the owner, her name's Terry. She's hella dope and um, I support her mission. Uh, let's see. Okay, that's the that's the first thing. Second thing. I don't know when this episode drops, but I did get to take over somebody's somebody's podcast the other day. Uh, You may have heard me talk about her before, or if you listen to any of my other shows, you've definitely heard her before, but her name is Stephanie Williams, and she is the dopest, thirstiest, super awesome friend of mine that I just absolutely adore and love. She is the host of the Mocha Minutes podcast, and I got a chance to take over her show as host. We recorded just the other day. And, uh, so I, it may have aired by the time you're about to hear this, but I'm also recording this early. Check out Mocha Minutes podcast. Stephanie is dope as hell. I've been on her show several times, but in, this is the first time I got to take it over. And what I did was I interviewed her about her experience at the Black Podcasters Festival, the Black Podfest, uh, in Atlanta last week, a couple weeks ago, because, and I didn't know this at the time, I'm the reason she applied to present. At the fest, and she got accepted, and so she wanted to share her experience with me and with y'all through her show. So I got to take it over, because the show is called Mocha Minutes, and we talk about being highly melanated on that show. And I am light skin, mixed race, ambiguous. I took it over and referred to it as Butterscotch Minutes because that's that's my food coloring if I'm going to go with food coloring. <laughs> so check out the Butterscotch Minutes episode of Mocha Minutes podcast hosted by Stephanie Williams, but taken over for one episode only by Charmaine Fury. It was a lot of fun. Stephanie and I cannot, we just have a love affair with each other. Um, We've never met in person, but we've known each other for like almost four years. We just adore each other. And I'm, I'm so happy that she got to have the experience that she had. And I'm like, like super grateful that she wanted to include me in the experience of it, sharing it with her audience. Um, so it was a lot of fun. So go ahead and check that out and subscribe to the Mocha Minutes podcast as well. And, oh, two more things. I got two more things. Uh, I'm still raising funds for the East West Players Theater Company, the first Asian-American theater company in the United States. Um, t- a couple weeks ago, I was able to host my militantly mixed live panel discussion with Rohanjo Lee, Asian Sof, and Lee Painter Kim. All of us were involved in the organization of Blasian March L.A., and we talked about Black-Asian solidarity in activism. Uh, we were donated free space, free audio equipment, which is hella expensive, and two free volunteers who operated the event for us. Uh, I'm so grateful to have been able to have that experience at the place that we were able to have it. The East-West Players Theater uh, is very significant for Asian-American actors and like exposing them getting, them, getting them exposure in the entertainment industry. Um, I've only ever been to mixed Asian events at that theater, and now I get to count myself amongst the mixed Asian events uh, that took place at the East East West Players Theater. So I'm so grateful. I would like to try to raise some funds just as a way to give back to what they've given Asian Americans in general, but Militantly Mixed specifically. So if you would like to help me raise funds, you can either go to the Instagram because I have it linked as a fundraiser, or you can drop some coins in the Militantly Mixed PayPal, so that's PayPal.me slash militantly mixed. Or uh, my Venmo is a, a business Venmo, so it's Main Hustle Media at mainhustlemedia, Hustle Media, and that is M-A-N-E, just like my name. So you can drop some coins in any of those places and it'll I'll be able to to divide that up between East West Players and uh, the Blazian March. Blazian March I'm just also raising funds for because it's an organization that I'm supporting. It is um, what was started by Rohan Jolie in New York and has now expanded to L.A. And I will always do my best to try to be involved in some way, shape, or form as it is very much where I intersect, blackness, Asianness, and blazian and queerness. And then I just also just want to support the the organization. So any coins that come in between now and June, I was originally saying June 15th, but I haven't really raised that much yet, so I'm going to go ahead and push it through the end of June. And I'll go ahead and divide that up between the two organizations. So help a mani out if you can. And then lastly, uh, and I know this is stacking on more money requests, but as always, Militantly Mix is a fan-sponsored podcast. And without your support, we really struggle (laughs) right now to keep growing and growing. Uh, So if you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash mix. Donate as low as a dollar a month to as high as anything you wish, and there are different reward levels depending on what you choose. At the $5 a month level, you get access to the video versions of the episodes, starting with episode 142, and um, just so you can see what it looks like when I'm sitting there on the stream with uh, with my guests. And um, I'm also reordering stickers right now, so I'm a little bit behind on some of those um, mail-outs, but I'll be catching up in June. I will be catching up on all the orders that need to go out to people who are supporting the Patreon. And uh, yeah, there's that. Uh, I am trying to hit a goal of $500 a month by our fourth anniversary, which is July 5th. And as of uh, right now, we're at 306. So we lost $2 between this and last week, but we're going to get there. We are going to get to $500 by July 5th. Uh, I believe that we can do it. I have a big enough audience that if everybody, even if everybody just donated $1 a month, we could definitely get there. Um, and that will help us continue to grow. And one last thing, and then we'll get into today's episode. I really struggle with pride. I've talked about this before. As a queer person, I struggle with it because it's it's been very much co-opted outside of the main focus of pride, which was black and brown trans women uh, fighting against the NYPD for uh, uh, harassing them, assaulting them, and persecuting them, uh, which popped off the Stonewall riots. Uh... Crimson, who you all might remember from the Tangible Blackness episode earlier this year, sent me uh, a link to a description of someone I was familiar with as a member of the original Stonewall Uprisings, but I did not know them as a mixed person. And I, he sent something to me to sh- today that, that showed it. So here's the way I'm going to start honoring pride. I'll acknowledge it even though it frustrates me and I don't like the corporatization of it. But the way I will do it is in seeking out ways that make sense for me to share about it. Black and brownness, mixedness, queerness, all rolled into one. And so thanks to Crimson for dropping this to me. Um, I would like to highlight one of the, really the first person, the, the first punch of the Stonewall Uprising, Stormy DeLarvier often referred to as the Stonewall lesbian or the guardian of lesbians in the village. They were a biracial butch lesbian singer and drag king. Her assault by the NYPD was a defining moment in the Stonewall rebellion and riots. Stormy is credited as the woman who threw the first punch. Marsha P. Johnson came in after it was started and threw the first brick to defend Stormy from the NYPD. Marsha is another mother of pride, along with Stormy and uh, uh, Sylvia Rivera is known, I believe, as Miss Mayor of Pride. Uh, They shouted at bystanders, why don't you guys do something? And she fought against the police alongside other butch lesbians, trans black women, lesbians, gays, and bisexuals who are all involved in the uprising. Um, There's also a really dope-ass picture of Stormy in a full tux, um, just looking dapper as hell. So that is a way that I feel comfortable in honoring pride right now is I, on this show, I've highlighted the first, uh, mixed race queer person that, that I have access to right now. And I will try to do that every episode this month. Um, and then also something I've been seeing on the internet is the, the tweeter, the, the tweets that say, uh, cash app, your favorite queer, uh, So if there's a queer person, LGBTQ plus person that you love and you want to drop some coins in their cash apps, by all means, please do that. And if that queer person is me, I'm Sir Auntie Main on Cash App and Venmo. All right. So let's get into today's episode. I got one less than a minute left, but I'm going to do it. My guest today is Nabil Ayers. We have been in contact. uh, Well, we were in contact about four years ago via email. Kind of lost contact for a little while, but Nabil has finally dropped his memoir, My Life in the Sunshine, and so we are going to talk a little bit about that today. It was such a lovely conversation. It was, like, super comfortable talking to Nabil. I really enjoyed our time together. Nabil's story is really interesting in that he is a planned child in a situation that is just different than other people, in the same way that I'm a planned pregnancy, but my parents were teenagers. Uh, Nabil is the planned pregnancy of a white Jewish mother, Louise. And an acquaintance of hers, the famous black jazz musician, Roy Ayers, um, she wanted to be a single mother. She was fascinated by Roy. They were acquaintances. And she asked him one day, uh, can I have a baby with you, but raise it on my own? And he was like, yeah, sure. So that's what happened. She got pregnant. She raised Neville on her own. And... While he is aware of his biological father, he, he hasn't played a very big role in his life. He, he's met him a few times, but they're not like relatives necessarily. Um, but Nabil does get encountered in the wild by Roy accidentally all the time. Not the man himself, but his music. As I mentioned, he's a famous jazz musician, and many of you would recognize him through probably the most famous song, which is Everybody Loves the Sunshine. I am not going to be playing that on this show because I'm not going to do to Nabil what happens to him out in the wild, which is literally that song playing in movies, TV shows, at a coffee shop, walking down the street, uh, sampled in another piece of music. And Nabil himself is also in the entertainment industry, in the music industry. And so just is very aware of his father's continued fame into into his late adulthood even though Nabil himself didn't grow up experiencing Roy as a famous person. Very fascinating conversation. I really enjoy Nabil as a person, and I can't wait to share that with you all as well. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming our latest cousin to the Mix family, Nabil Harris. My guest today is actually someone I have been in some form of communication with for about four years, but we've never actually spoken until this day. My guest today is Nabil Ayers.
1: Hello. Yay. <laughs> Why
0: don't you introduce yourself to the audience and then we'll yeah, get into it. my
1: intro is not as good as yours. Man, that's great. <laughs> but we both have glaring glasses. I Yes, yeah, so it's good.
0: <laughs> like I'm trying to tilt it, but it is yeah. what it is.
1: <laughs> uh my name is Nabil Ayers. I am a mixed race person, I suppose, which is why I'm here. My father's black. My mother is white and Jewish. Um, I work in the music business. I run a record company. I played in bands for a lot of my life. I own record stores. And I wrote a book kind of about how all of that was informed by my mixed race life. And it's called My Life in the Sunshine. And I'm excited to talk about all of it with you.
0: All right. right. I'm. I am really glad that we did get in touch because I, you know, emails get buried after a long time yeah. and stuff like that so I'm glad because I think you were starting the book writing process probably. around the time Yeah, I probably
1: maybe I think I'd written a couple I was kind of like dipping my my toes in the water seeing what mm-hmm. it felt like to write about the serious stuff as I yeah. call it with air quotes so I was also writing about you know being in bands and record store and those fun things but I was writing some things about about race and about my life and and I might have Maybe you commented on one or I sent it to you or something, but I think once I started publishing a couple of those things, I just started sort of reaching out and and finding mm-hmm. out that there's a whole world of people talking there's a about lot of us stuff. cousins
0: out there on these yeah, streets it's really cool. um i it's it's a process that i'm been meaning to start but have let things get in the way and i'm going i'm going to be starting that process soon myself but i wanted to so that's part of the reason why i'm excited too because i want to talk about this with you but i i kind of wanted to know if how it was triggered for you besides just like because you have a very specific aspect of your mixedness of parental informedness and lack of informedness that have triggered some of this. So is that kind of the reason why you went through this process? Were you working through something to do it? Or was it just as part of your life? And that's why it came up?
1: It's kind of part of my life. I mean, I've never been much of a writer. And then five or six years ago, I just started writing kind of for fun. I just I think I was old enough, I just turned 50, I felt like I was old enough, maybe to, to remember things and start reflecting on them and thinking (laughs) about them, you know, when you're going through stuff, I don't know about everybody, but when I when I went through things, I wasn't thinking about them as much. You just try to you're just kind of getting through life and you're not focusing on what's going on or the bigger picture. And I think once I got a bit older, I started to think about how it all fit together. And I started writing for fun, writing about the bands I used to play in and about the record store I used to own and those kind of things. And and it was my wife who said. You know, look, this stuff's all really fun. You can keep doing that. But really, what you should write about is your father and your race, because those are the things that you care about. And those are the things that other people will be interested in. So it sounded really scary, but I just started kind of writing short stories. I wasn't trying to write a book. I was just writing Mm. memories. I mean, I've never known my father. My mother got pregnant with his permission on purpose, but planned on raising me on her own and being a single mother and did an incredible job. And I had a great childhood. But but I never knew my father as planned, and he's a relatively famous musician named Roy Ayers. So he's always kind of existed. His music pops up; he'll be in town playing a show. Like you know, he kind of throughout my life he's always popped up. So I just started writing about the times I'd met him or the times I'd heard his music. And I think after maybe six months, there were enough stories that I realized, oh, interesting. This actually might be a book, even though I wasn't trying to. I had mm. kind of this timeline that sort of took my whole life onto the page, which is crazy.
0: Yeah. Do you feel that in the process of it? So like you said, and that is a portion of I've read part of it. I haven't got a chance to finish it yet, but right, I have it's read. Wrong. Part of
1: it. it's, a, it's a whole book. Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole book.
0: Um, and I I was so affected by some parallel. It's a very it's a reach. I almost broke my arm trying to reach for this. But it is a bit of a parallel between the two of us is that I'm a result of teen parents but i am also a planned pregnancy Uh um because my very smart 14 year old mother and 16 year old father thought that the best way to get kicked out of the house was to get pregnant um so i'm a planned pregnancy (laughs) from a 14 year old and a 16 year old mind and then my life was just you know affected by both them being different races and them being such young um Mm -hmm. ineffective parents so when i was reading the portion about your mother's intention on having you and the conversation she has with your biological father. Yeah. I was just like, wow, there are, there are these kinds of situations that people end up planning the most unusual type of children, yeah, bringing the children yeah. in. For um, her, I
1: think it was just that she had, she had what she thought was a really hard childhood and she was lonely and wanted a friend. That's me And she was 21. Um,
0: Oh my and gosh, so I that hit something a bit,
1: too. <laughs> a lot of it was, yeah, that sounds old now compared to yours, but but a lot of it was that she really wanted to to give a child the life that she never had, which is really nice and, and sweet. And and of course, maybe a bit overly optimistic, but, but she did it. I mean, it's I mean, you know, sure. I one of the few people that was actually able to pull it off and, and never looked back and never regretted it, never talked about how my father wasn't there. It was never a thing. There was never mm. any anger. It was the deal was the deal. And that's what it was
0: in regard. I think you even note this too, like regardless of whether or not she had feelings and had hoped for maybe a more romantic life yeah. um, together, that understanding that he was upfront about his intention the entire time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think at the time that we originally talked, I feel like I had it in my head that you either hadn't met him or you had rarely met him right. um, in your life. And so How do you maneuver your understanding of your own blackness within your not having access to that specific person versus black people in general?
1: That's a really good question. I mean, I I still, after all this and after having written a book and now having talked about it, I still don't have a strong racial identity. I don't Mm. totally identify as black. I definitely don't identify as white. I'm mixed race and I've always thought that and I've always felt that, but I think, I think part of the navigating it was, I mean, my mother was really careful to, especially in my early years from like zero to 10, we lived in New York and more importantly in Amherst, Massachusetts, which was just at the time, this incredible, really open safe place with so many kids of so many different races we lived in this community Mm. with like two or three hundred families it was umass student housing tons of kids who didn't have fathers tons of kids who didn't have mothers lots of single parents um all students all these parents and so many mixed race kids and so many kids of different races so i think during a really important time in my life race didn't matter and i think that's a really weird unique situation i didn't know it at the time but it, it didn't it didn't define who I was. I wasn't the weird biracial kid with a single mother and father. Right, no right. I was seriously just just like every other kid. Not kids. we weren't we we're all different, which made us all kind of the same. And so eventually when I moved to Salt Lake City, we moved there because my mom's job moved her there. I was 10, still pretty young, but you know, much wider city, much more traditional family city. And by then it just I think I was confident enough and had those 10 years of kind of not being the weird kid that I just decided like. Well, I'm not going to start now. And so but, <laughs> that's but, but absolutely. That's... <laughs> but that's when kids started asking me if I was poor or asking to touch my Afro oh. or the football coach trying to get me all the all the sort of classic all the stereotypes, you know, yeah. what do we call it, microaggressions, whatever, all those things that people say isn't racist, but when they start to happen a lot and had never happened to you before in the mm. other places you lived. So, so that's weirdly, I think, for the first time in my life where I realized, OK, so I guess I am different now that i'm in this place and i need to figure out how to deal with that but i didn't i didn't search out the other black kids cuz i didn't totally fit in with them either mm-hmm. so luckily i just kind of it was a nice open accepting place and i just had friends who were mostly white but but i didn't i still knew i wasn't white right so it's kind of still what i feel like i still work in in music and in indie rock which is a very white world and i'm kind of the you know i'm just me floating yeah. around in my life
0: and you have a Jewish mother, but you weren't raised in a traditional Jewish religious situation. No. So
1: you, yeah, um... she was born Jewish and and definitely is Jewish. And and I, you know, she would say culturally Jewish, meaning not not super devout, not super religious. And and for a while, she and her brother, my uncle, who was definitely my father when I was growing up, and still to this day, <laughs> uh, they joined the Baha'i faith, which is you know this very open, peaceful. Great religion that, that. Nabil is a Bahai name, so I, I feel I feel more connected to that than anything else. But but also not a very intense religion. So right. I, I just remember not not to disparage it, but I just remember going to lots of like really fun, happy parties and dinners and events and sort of very positive vibes from the Bahai faith. Right.
0: So I I you touched on a couple of things that hit me too. So I think there's a lot of crossover because we're not we're not far apart. Uh, I think in age, but the the ideas of like being around a whole bunch of mixed kids. Like I didn't understand that I was around mixed kids. I was a military kid. Oh, Plus yeah. I'm multi-generationally mixed. Both of my parents are biracial. And so so all my cousins, all my aunts and uncles, literally everybody except for my grandparents were were mixed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just thought this was normal. And then when I was 15, I moved from Long Beach to Sacramento and ended up in a predominantly white school and for the first time was being asked what what I was. Right. And so I guess I always thought I was black until someone started to tell me they couldn't tell what I was. And like, I, I would say that I was black and I had a Japanese mom. Um, oh, interesting. But not so,
1: Japanese with a black dad.
0: No, because I grew up predominantly in black community. Okay, so I went right. to black church. I was around black people. Most yeah. of the brown people in my family were the people I saw most often. I, I would <laughs> describe myself as weekend Japanese because this <laughs> is when I would go home to grandma, you know. Um, and so like I, I thought of myself as black. And then when I left my neighborhood and suddenly... Was starting to be asked by white people because that's the other part. I didn't have a very white upbringing. I didn't have Mm -hmm. many white people around me. So when I started being asked by white people what I was, I was just so confused. So I I tell people that I became mixed at 15. But until then, I was black and uh, or weekend Japanese. And so that idea of just like being able to be fully formed as a mixed person without necessarily needing to explain it.
1: Right until
0: I mean, all of a sudden you had to and it's just like well why do I gotta have a identity crisis now because y'all don't get it <laughs> I know and
1: why do I have to explain it to you and why does it have to be what are you yeah <laughs> that's such know, a weird so obviously such a common question I mean I've heard about it so much and I've heard it so many times but it's so not very for, nice it's not
0: very nice for me <laughs> I always tell people that like Black people don't ask that question. Black people ask, what are you mixed with? Or at least that's oh, my, my experience. And so they're telling you, I see that you're Black, but what's what else is going on with you, right? Yeah. Um, I've and, always
1: felt like Black people can definitely tell that I'm Black yeah. and something else, whereas White people are are often like, what's going on?
0: Is it some kind of yeah. Latinx? Is it some... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all, all, all the things that aren't what we actually are, but are right. <laughs> you know we all kind of... Boiled down to people thinking that we're Puerto Rican or Dominican or something like that yeah. so yeah i I feel like there's a lot of crossover, also we're coming up in a time where like if you were black mixed at all, you were black, right, even if you had a more ambiguous presentation like I do,
1: yeah. um,
0: which I would say you kind of have an ambiguous presentation yeah, too, lightest, I mean, you're brown, yeah, but
1: yeah I mean I definitely uh, when I was a kid, I had an afro though, which definitely i mean like not a huge one, but like you know
0: no yeah an afro
1: for sure, so that that helped,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I so for me, like I could hold braids, but I um I didn't have them often, I usually just had them in the summer, and so that used to be my blackest time. That that was, <laughs> that was those, those my the summers were my pro black era where everybody was just like super I, I was super militant because my whole deal was black, I guess. Wow, yeah. um, whereas other times, you know, my hair is relatively Asian looking, so a lot of times it just kind of
1: ha- so much of it does live in the hair, doesn't it? It does, it yeah. really does, and the... I, now, I mean, now I'm the but I'll hold this up even though you can see it. On the, so the cover of the book has this picture of me when I'm seven mm-hmm. or eight years old. And what's funny is I've had people look at this now who I know, but who I haven't known since I was a kid and be like, "What? that's you. What? And I can see the wheels they're turning. They're like,
0: oh, he is like, black. Right. Exactly.
1: <laughs> I can see I exactly what they're thinking and they're trying to figure out how to say it or what not to say. or all. And mm-hmm. I've you know, been dealing with this for 50 years. But it's funny with this picture to watch people. It's happened at least five or six times already. Like, yeah. Oh,
0: Oh, yeah, <laughs> I've yes, had that
1: I, is an afro on me when I was a kid. <laughs> that's so funny.
0: I've had that too. Like, or so there's a picture of me with my parents when we were when I was little, and I look like mostly like my dad, but just my mom's coloring. And so people see me side by side next to him and be like, Oh, you are a black girl, or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. I mean, I don't that's, know.
1: That's another thing always where people decide like they, they give it to you. Like, yeah. you know, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess you, you're right. You are what yeah. you said or whatever. It's like.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's so it's so <laughs> ridiculous. Or yeah, if I do have like my hair braided or it's um, fluffy because, you know, humidity sometimes will expose <laughs> your story, too. Um, and someone will end up saying like, oh, OK, I see it now. And you're just like, OK, I mean, you could have just took my word for it, but right. fine. that's fine. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, so music, um, I kind of wanted to talk to you about that, about this, because I feel like you addressed it a little bit in the beginning of the book, which is as far as I've gotten so yeah. far. Um, so I don't know yet how far you get into it. But nature versus nurture question, I guess, is what I'm asking. You yeah. come from a very musical family on both sides. Right. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of in there, but it's also kind of. Uh, cultivated in you, how, how do you gravitate musically? Do you feel like there's a pull n- towards like what your father did versus right. I mean, what your so, uncle did? I, I mean,
1: I do get a lot more into it in the book and have just thought about it so much. It's, I mean, music's been such a huge part of my life, and I mean, really, what I what it comes down to. So for for me as a musician, I played drums and I played and danced for years, not anymore, but I still say I'm a drummer. Um, my father is an incredible, you know, well-known vibraphonist, a percussion instrument but i never never knew him never spent any time with him never even got like a hey this is how you play the vibe like you know nothing he has no influence over me other than dna which is arguably a huge one but my uncle well, my mother was a dancer or is a dancer which is musical to me my uncle is a really incredible saxophone player but he's the person who I mean, when I was a kid, music was always playing. I started buying records when I was five because they took me to the record store. My uncle bought me a drum set when I was two and a half because I was playing (laughs) on pots and pans. So and then he would I would I have video not videos I have photographs and tape recordings of me being three and four years old playing drums while my uncle's playing saxophone. Like I was really, really into music. So so the question is, and there's not really a way to answer it. Did I get it from my dad's DNA or did I get it from just constant exposure and more than exposure like really like encouragement people taking me to concerts buying me instruments playing music with me I mean it's got to be both but I feel like it's probably more my mom and my uncle simply because they actually did something
0: yeah, and the people that you grew up around, like the people that lived in community with your family and stuff like that, they yeah. were, they all tended to be very musically inclined,
1: yeah, as yeah, well too. So right. you I just kind of yeah, had it, was it really just around me. But but from a listening perspective, when I was younger, definitely a lot of jazz um, and a lot of just like you know rock and R and B, whatever the seventies were, black artists, white artists, it wasn't it didn't make a huge difference. And then what happened is I got into Kiss. And there's a weird thing, and I write about this in the book, but this is really <laughs> true: that I would look at records and be like, "Okay, Stevie Wonder, I and mean, I love Stevie Wonder, but that Afro is so tight. Mine's a little bit looser because I'm half my mom's Jewish, and and his skin is oh, darker. I see where I'm, it's not, going. I'm not Stevie Wonder. <laughs> I'd look at my mom's Beatles records, and I definitely don't look like those That's guys. I can't be in okay. that band. This is like you know the five-year-old brain, yeah. Thing. And Kiss, like not only just blew me away because they were making it for kids you know with the makeup and all this stuff but i mean i knew they were probably white guys under there but there's something about the makeup and all the costumes and everything that i was like oh i could look like that
0: mm. and
1: so weirdly i was drawn to them because it was like it wasn't racially ambiguous but like it could have been kind of
0: yeah because they have those jewish afro things <laughs> right, that I they know. sort of stretch straight, yeah. straighten out a little bit so that, that was instead. a weird
1: a weird like i remember that being the first band that i sort of identified with in that way where i thought not not like i could be in kiss but like i could do something like that i see what they did and anyone could do that and that's cool like that was kind of the
0: that is version of
1: that you know
0: so I'm a comic book person and for me there's a story that Stan Lee from Marvel tells about the creation of Spider Man and he says that it's it was intentional that they made no part of his body visible because a lot of superheroes you could see the like cows or something like yep. that, white hands or whatever. Blue eyes. And he said <laughs> yeah, blue eyes. So he so he says the reason why Spider Man has is fully suited and which was not super common at the time was because he wanted any kid.
1: Wow, to feel really? that they could grow up that. to be and when Spider-Man was that, like the 40s or 50s sixties. No the sixties early. Yeah. Days.
0: So if he's pretty I mean he's pretty advanced in his openness oh. and I think he dealt with a lot of Jewish prosecution. I mean uh-huh. he changed his last name to appear a little because oh, okay. um, his name is Stanley. Oh. and then he has a very obviously Jewish last name. So right. he changed it to Stan. Lee.
1: That's funny. So that Paul, he could... Paul Stanley from yeah, Kiss. Yeah. <laughs> His name's Stanley, Stanley, Eisen, or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. something like that. So, uh,
0: <laughs> so he did that, and so he already had a very like open, you know, idea about racial identity and stuff I've like never that. Heard and that. So it's one of those stories that, like, I can see that with Kiss, like they're ambiguous enough in their presentation that you could be any if you wanted to be a rock star, you could be right, like them. You, you know, could you that away. Do you remember awesome.
1: when I don't know. 10 20 years ago whenever it was that uh that people found out that the voice of elmo is a black man
0: see this was so weird because i so i'm also a hardcore uh, sesame street person I, I, yeah. um and i i had a slight very short-lived relationship with carol spinney who uh is big bird and oscar the grout what? um <laughs> I, I worked was dropping for him like, just so y'all know, I know, big Um, <laughs> awesome. you know, rest, rest in peace. But uh, yeah, so I worked for him for a little while and which was like a dream because of oh. my childhood obsession. But so I knew from jump that Elmo was, okay. was a black voice character and, or that a black man was voicing him. Mm-hmm. And um, but other people didn't. And yeah, like basically he got outed kind of and that's how it came out and people lost their damn minds I know
1: like why 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 did you assume he was white
0: yeah like what a puppet can't be black Like on a, on um... a show
1: that's all he's red and on a show that's already like you know super early on diversity and everything right. like why, why would it
0: <laughs> their whole intention was to make an inner city accessible education program and so there's a lot of black and brown people in the beginning of it a lot yeah. of the puppeteers are of course white but yeah yeah, yeah by the time kevin gets there you know so funny yeah it's pretty wild people did lose their damn minds it, yeah. and it almost feels like they feel tricked into liking <laughs> I know, something I know. totally but I'll say the black community, we have owned Elmo, regardless of Kevin. We owned Elmo just on vibes, <laughs> <I think laughs> just well. on
1: vibes lot. But it is funny because I think that the, like, you know, the, the non-racist air quotes versions that I heard were like, it's not I mean, no, there's nothing wrong with it. He just didn't he just doesn't sound like that. It's like, <laughs> yeah. does Elmo sound like a white person? Elmo sounds yeah. like a fake voice. No, nobody of like any a, race talks like that. A
0: red furry monster from right. the Bronx. <laughs> 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 like they're all New Yorkers, right? So they could be yeah. anything legit. Yeah, that's pretty. That's that's pretty uh, funny. Yeah, people do kind of lose their mind. I mean, I guess people, to be fair, in music, that's happened because Bobby called,
1: called well, Right, well, that's the- a yeah. thing in music. Right, Where especially before, obviously before MTV and before you really had access to what people looked like. There were yeah. white people to, trying to sound black or trying to be black. Or
0: yeah, and uh, you feel like, oh my gosh, this whole time, <laughs> this whole time you've been white. Yeah, no, it, I guess it does trigger across the board, but for some reason we like applaud it if it's secretly white, right? Um, whereas we question feelings if it's secretly black. I don't know why we do that as a culture, but it, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Still I'm like- always looking for the black, though. So I have a I, I describe myself as hierarchically mixed. So I identify first as black and then as Japanese. And then mm-hmm. I have a British grandmother um, so oh. who did live with us for a period of time. So I do have some British influences as well. But I don't identify. I acknowledge that I'm mixed with white, but I don't identify it culturally really much because mm-hmm. I don't I didn't even grow up around white people. Right. And so I don't really have that. Uh, default to white supremacy thing. It doesn't really happen too much, yeah. although I'm sure some things got in there over the course of time. So, you know, you deal with biases on occasion. Yeah, but yeah. my biases are very strongly Black first. And so um, there's a lot of times where I'm just always suspicious. <laughs> i like, like, is that a mixed person? Is that a Black person? What's That's going interesting on?
1: That, you, that you describe it that way because I was raised, you know, once, especially once I moved to Salt Lake and the college I went to and my life in Seattle, even beyond raised, but I've just lived in very much in white cultures. But I also am biased toward Black with anything. And I think that's obviously because it's part of me, but there's just Mm -hmm. this sort of this want to to help and to make things better. But I think, I mean, that also might've come from my mother and my uncle, and even my grandfather who I knew was white and Jewish, but truly like a civil rights activist who like went to marches and I knew about Mm -hmm. all this. And so I think some of it might even come from the white side of my family which is so your
0: white side of your family did at least try in understanding to however much they could that you were going to have a different experience in them being more obviously uh right black or, or racially ambiguous than they mm-hmm. were they did try to inform your blackness in terms of like keeping you around folks not one, no. like once that? i was
1: in salt lake there was no way to do that there was no way to do that was, i mean Interestingly, Salt Lake, though, there's a lot of Mexican people, a lot of Tongan, Samoan. It's still a pretty white city, but it's not 100% white. Um, and we went to a lot of things, you know, whatever, cultural centers and events and things. But it was, you know, I think moving there was almost like there are too many good reasons to go. We could always go back to New York. Let's just go try it. And it ended up being great. I really loved it and felt, you know, safe and included in all the things you want to be as a teenager. But, um, But no, it's, I mean... I don't even know what we would have done to try to <laughs> have black influence in my life. I mean, I went and saw Living Color and Fishbone; that was rad. <laughs> oh, Fishbone! <laughs>
0: Fishbone is a good so, so. Fishbone is a good example of like how you could kind of feel mixed in your interest in music yep. to a degree, right? Like, yeah, because it's traditionally white music, but totally right. But Living black Color, people, too, like, yeah, yeah, rock
1: band, but yeah, and I, I mean, I loved those bands and and was always, especially at that age, you know, really into like white rock bands, mm. but. Once I saw them, got even more excited because that was the like, "Oh wow, there's something happening here, and maybe yeah. that means again, it was the still not completely identifying with them, but it at least meant as someone who wanted to be a musician, maybe there is a way for me to do that because I know I'm not going to be in you know right. whatever Bon Jovi or. Whatever so that I mean, was. I
0: feel like that's the mixed kids' plight, is that we're trying to find ourselves in any kind of little way that we can because mm-hmm. there's you know, like in my case, I never expected a, a black Japanese Brit to come on the Cosby show and be representing, you know, like or something like that. Like I never expected to right. really see myself, yeah. but in the way that I could see myself, I would attach to it. So, like yeah. if I see black people do uh anime cosplay. I feel connected to that because it's like it's black and Japanese, you right. know, because wow. yeah. uh, or something like that. So I'll find things like that. Or um, in for me, growing up, it was the X Men is where I found I found myself getting into comics, and there was a Chinese character named Jubilee who was raised by white people. She's a transracial adoptee, and I'm like, all right, I'm not Chinese, I'm Japanese, but she's got different color parents than her, so I get it, you know, all like right. I'll take it.
1: Yeah, you're um, totally looking for whatever you can grab onto. Right?
0: Yeah, and Storm, she's half american black and half african so like it was sure. she you know she her her influence is in new york and uh ethiopia or uh kenya so like uh-huh. th- i was piecing it together the yeah. way that i could like if you can put jubilee and storm together and then i'm that i'm whatever wow, that is that's Cool,
1: I didn't um, really know that. so
0: like i think like that with the, your interest in in music like the the style of music, but if you see old browner people doing it, you're right. just like, hey, yep. <laughs> I, I can fit, I, I'll fit right there too. Exactly. Hey. Yeah. And we do, I think we just search for that kind of stuff because we need we need to see ourselves so much, which yeah. is partly what prompted me to do the show. It, even though it's you know audio, it's hearing the voices of mixed people actually share what it's like for them that I felt like was something that I lacked growing up, and right. I had to right. find a way. I had to find a way to get it. And yep. even as a 44 year old person, I'm still like. The second something's mixed, I'm like, yeah, that's me, you know. And it doesn't even have to be my mix, it just has to be mixed, and I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I I always hate asking this question, but it's all it's <laughs> it's always important to our experience. But how do you maneuver? Like, how do you notice how you're coded in advance and then you adjust yourself to that? Or do you maneuver as a person who understands that you're you're seen as black like how how do you feel like you walk around
1: i think i mean the funny thing is it's a great question and i i can only tell you what i think other people think that's what's weird right is i don't know yeah right i can guess and i do a lot of guessing and i'm probably right sometimes but for me my name is a huge part of the whole thing Mm. it's a it's a middle eastern name which totally throws people off it's always caused people when they're looking at me Especially white people looking at me, trying to figure out what I am or where I'm from or any of those things. It's because of my name. It's often like, "What, where, where are you from?" You know, and they expect some Middle Eastern thing, you know, Iran or something like that. And I, I always, I always extend that conversation to make people uncomfortable. And
0: I do too. Cause, cause I'm
1: sick of it. So like, where are you from? Like, oh, oh, New York. No, no, but like, you know, where, where are your parents from? It's like, oh, New York and L.A. That's exactly
0: what I do. <laughs> like,
1: well, no, no, just make them keep it. You going, wait. You wait till it, they ask like, the question. Why don't you ask me what you want to ask me? Or else I'm just going to keep answering the questions. <laughs> Where's as you're your
0: brown them? from? Yeah, I do it right, too. I right. go. I'll be like, well, I was born in Sacramento, but I grew up a military kid. I moved around a lot. I really <laughs> identify right. with Long Beach. Like, I'll sit, right. I'll go through the whole the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: so fun. Yeah. So so I feel like you know if it's whatever a work meeting with a new band or a new manager or someone I haven't met before, or whatever, even a podcast, you know, anything, the name comes up first. And so that's, people are expecting something. If my name were Joe right. Smith, they might, they might be surprised to see me and be like, Oh, he looks different. I don't know what this is, but the mm-hmm. deal, obviously it, that brings something with it. Um, and so I I feel like in a weird way, I'm stepping backwards to like, it's actually not that interesting. My dad's black. My mom's white. I'm from New York, which is is like less maybe even, I think, especially in college, I think there's almost some like excitement about, ooh, like Middle East where, you know, maybe he's like the son of some diplomat. Like, I really think that's how people were thinking. I might have made that up, but I think that was a thing that was going on in the 90s and it was almost like, oh, that's it when I told the truth.
0: You're just regular mix, like because yeah, for the longest time, people when you said mix, yeah, yeah. people thought black white biracial with a yeah. black dad,
1: right? But I think no matter what, people can tell I'm something. It's fun to play with that. If the, if they're gonna ask, you know, dance around questions, then I'm gonna answer them the way they are. But but I think I I mean. Uh, to me, I, in, in most cases, I try to navigate it as something that's not that important. Of course, it is hugely important to me personally and to my identity and who I am and how I go through the world. But but when it comes to like a business meeting or something like that, it's like that's not, doesn't matter. That's not part of this. So I don't need to spend that time talking about it or helping you think about it. And I kind of try to just move right through it if it comes up, because yeah. in that scenario, it's not important.
0: To yeah. Me. And also I feel like, we don't have to grant everybody access to that's, our that's information. Kind of what I'm trying to say,
1: yes. Yeah, and it's just <laughs> yeah. like,
0: you know, I, I'll i play around with the question because, and I do refer to it as the question, um, I, I play around with it because I I realized no one ever told me I didn't have to answer. Yeah. Like nobody in my family told me that I, did, I could just own it myself however I wanted to own it. Yeah. And once I got to that place, and and part of that was getting closer and closer to middle age, <laughs> Um, where like you know, fuck it, forties start, and you're just like, oh wait, I don't have to do this. I'm not gonna do this. (laughs) Like, easier, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like you just be like, you you just live with your confusion, right? I don't have to be burdened by your confusion. That's the thing, Um, which feels really good once we hit this age. That Mm -hmm. being said, I do talk to a lot of younger people on the show, and they they haven't gone through that portion yet, so they're still just like giving you the percentages you know i'm an atheist and a quarter of that and whatever and still, and,
1: for younger people is it still as much as the same thing that we're talking about pretty
0: much they yeah. still go through their their um their percentage period of time or the justification <laughs> right, right, right. the validation period of time <laughs> right. um one thing that's different about them because especially the ones that are let's say the 20 20 year olds and a and like 10 years younger than me, I guess, maybe. Uh, The people who grew up with the internet the entire time. So I was a full-ass adult by the time the, I right. had access to the internet, you know, yeah. Same, I was in
1: college. Yeah. Yeah. You're in
0: college. Like, yeah, I, I touched it my senior year on new year's Eve and right. then I didn't touch it again for three more years. And then I was in college and wow. uh, senior year of high school. And then three more years later I was in college. I, I had a typewriter for my first two yeah, yeah. years of, of college. And stuff yep. like that. So the younger generation, they, they've been exposed to identity questions a lot earlier than we were. Oh. And so they, so what's different about them versus what you and I experienced of, assumed blackness you're black you're part of us like black people accepting us on on site Mm -hmm. um or uh, anybody else is assuming we're black because of some sort of coat you know something they see uh these this generation they don't do the if you're black you're if you're mixed you're black they don't do that okay they do the um i get to be my full mix thing which i think is great It also causes fights between the older generation and the younger generation because our older generation, a lot of us, not all of us, we're not a monolith, but a lot of us own our blackness and they're like, we don't own the other stuff sometimes, you know, we're just like happy to be accepted in black culture. And since black people are so generally accepting and uh, uh, the younger generation is like, if I want to claim white, I want to claim white, And you can't tell me anything different. And I agree with that. I don't move that way though cuz that's not the generation I I came up in. Um, so I do have the slogan on the show which is what's on my shirt, be your mixed ass self. <laughs> and um and what I say about that is really just like whatever that means to you. So for me that means I'm hierarchically black Japanese and then, mm-hmm. you know, British. Um, but I know that I move the world as a brown person. So yeah. I'm not I'm not cur- I'm not accidentally coded as white ever. Um, oddly enough, except for by Middle Eastern folks, which is interesting. Oh, really? Yeah, it happened to me just the other day when someone was changing my battery. He he um <laughs> he, he was like, he I was wearing a mask and he had he saw my hair and he's like, you're not white and I was like, no, and and he's like, really? And I'm like, no, I'm black and Japanese. And he's like, no, nope.
1: he just he's just decided
0: <laughs> no because Don't he said it. of all the ethnicities in the world, black people and Asian people have the most dominant genes. And I didn't I wasn't obviously black to him or obviously Asian. So for him, he he really struggled with seeing it. And wow. I, I I was like, well, okay. But like Thank you. Going, Have a
1: nice day. Yeah, <laughs> like what, what I
0: what I can do with that. I don't know what I can do with that. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm usually always coded as at least some kind of brown. Right. And um <laughs> So I think that's what the difference is with the younger kids is they've been able to answer questions about identity a lot earlier than us, And that goes into queerness that goes into, uh, you know, gender and all kinds of things. Like they seem to know themselves way earlier
1: Hmm. than
0: we really, I mean, not to say that we didn't know ourselves, but we just had different access. We, we we didn't, we couldn't necessarily go home and talk about it. Right.
1: Right. And I mean, the internet's probably helped a ton with that. I sound like an old person, but like, It didn't exist when we were kids. It does now. And that's the big difference.
0: What I will say that I do try to argue for acceptance with within the younger generation that that thinks you should be able to, if you just want to claim white, you should and things like that for black, white, biracial folks is the reason why black people claim each other goes back to slavery, right? Like, they literally took us apart. They took yeah. us away from our families. So you, mm-hmm. when you see other Black people, you assume family because we don't know that we're not related. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, and so, like, that extension of the one-drop rule, which, of yeah. course, was created for entirely racist purposes, we ended up owning... Because we literally didn't know who we were related to. Like some of those people are gone, right? Um, So I find that a very welcoming and joyful thing. Mm -hmm. Um, The younger generation doesn't necessarily accept that as welcoming. They accept it as erasing
1: kind of thing. Yeah, it's like
0: erasing of their identity. And so, like, we're both existing at the same time with these completely different ways of identifying our mixedness. And um, for me, it's just been. Like, you know, I turned into an accidental sociologist. Like I didn't right. know I was going to gather all these little uh, bits of generational mixedness, like the differences of our views on mixedness and yeah, stuff like that. Cool. It's, it's
1: pretty I neat. You should write a book about it.
0: Uh, yeah, I am working on it. I, I've been talking about it for a long time, but I, I'm talking to more people who've actually, you know, crossed that path and I'm re- I'm getting closer to ready to start yeah. to start cool. doing that. And I sh- certainly have a lot to do with the show that I can, I can pull out and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, I've been debating whether or not I was even going to ask this question um, and maybe you address it in the book. I don't know yet because I haven't gotten that far. Um, besides the fact that you will randomly encounter your father in the wild when you're not mm-hmm. expecting it yeah. at a restaurant, this a song comes on or yeah, you, musically. You, right, right. You see yeah. his face or something like that on a thing
1: Yeah, all the time, um,
0: especially in the age of like since we're like heavy into sampling. Yeah. You
1: just that like happened you, last night. <laughs> oh yeah, it just
0: happens. Um, so besides the fact that you could just encounter him in the wild and and have that weird disconnect between like being related to someone that you don't really know that well, mm-hmm. um, walking around with his last name, how do you feel about that?
1: It's I feel weird. I mean, I was born with a different last name, Broughman, which is my mother's name. Mm. She didn't give me my father's name. I was definitely her kid. Um, and when I was 18. I was living or 17, graduated high school, living in Salt Lake City, about to go to high school or to college in Seattle. My mother said, You should change your last name. It's a good time to do it. You're moving to a new city. It's just Broughman is such a hard name. Don't go through your life with it spelling it as a pain. B R A U F as in Frank M-A-N. It's it's so hard. And I mean yeah. I knew this. And she's like, just do it. Do, now's a great time to do it. What do you think? And I was like, Well, I don't I mean, I understand, I know what you mean. It is hard. What would I do? And I don't remember the exact conversation, but heirs was super obvious because it's the only other option without making something up. So right. it wasn't. I did it in a really pragmatic way. I was like, I like it. It sounds cool. It's simple. It's five letters, uh, and I'm I have a connection to it. Mm-hmm. But at the time, to me, I mean, my father has definitely been successful and well known this whole time. But to me, a teenager in Salt Lake City, he would have been. 50 then so if I had it was like well he's done
0: yeah like, no one's paying. yeah he,
1: yeah he in the 70s did some stuff in the 80s and so like it's not no one in Salt Lake knew. Who, no one ever asked me about him in Salt Lake City in yeah. the 80s people didn't know who Roy Ayers was so to me it was like oh this is it never even occurred to me that people might say are you Roy Ayers' son because he didn't exist yeah in my life or to me in the world so so that was the case. I went to Seattle, went to college. got But once I, in the nineties, once I started working in a record store, working in a record company, playing in bands that were signed to record labels, that's when it was all like, oh, well now I'm in his world and he's still very active in this mm. world. And it turns out a lot of people are asking me about this. Mm. And so, so it's weird. And I I certainly don't wish I hadn't changed it. I think it's a great name and I, I like I've had mixed feelings about my father over the years, but I, sure. I love having the same name and feeling connected to him, and I look like him, and it, it makes me feel uncomfortable, but it doesn't bother me when people ask if I'm related. I mean, I look like him, and I have the same last name, so it's a reasonable yeah. question. Yeah, and you're in like
0: the music that. industry, so yeah. there's going to be... But, when
1: I, but what's, what's interesting to me is that I definitely chose to have this name, but did so having no idea how much it was going like, to mark me. right. But I also like it, so it's not it's not a complaint. I could. Isn't easily, it weird it, that it's yeah. like
0: it's kind of it, yeah. I mean, it's a the lot of only us connection. I think
1: I'm obviously grasping for for something. You know. Mm-hmm.
0: So in my case, I chose my last name because I tried to separate myself from my father. Oh. Um, and uh, and so I did the reverse. I think of you is is that mine was a very big presence in my life, but he was not a very good guy. Mm. Um, so there was a period of time I needed. That was my way of breaking. Like I escaped it and changed. Um, well, I took my husband's name, uh, which was really just trading in one plantation name for another. And um, I know, and, right? I, and I didn't like it. You know, I didn't like that either. And so, um, so I've, you know, I, I use the name that I, that I do use because of the, a comic book connection and because I'm generally an angry person. So it works. Right.
1: Um, <laughs> the plantation uh, name thing is crazy, right? Because that's, I mean, I, there's a part of this in the book when I, I, I mean, later on, I, I got this family tree that goes back that talks about my father's family and names the plantation owner, all this stuff. And it's heirs. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time that I thought like, oh, wait a minute. I mean, I took his name, but his name is just a name that someone who owned him gave Plus, him yeah, to just demonstrate bestowed, ownership. Yeah. And like looking at that and seeing this person's name was pretty intense. It's the first right. time I really, really thought about that. And it was heavy.
0: Yeah, that that still knots my stomach up quite a bit because I really, honestly, I I feel like the reparation conversation is a is a huge conversation, but one part that I think is an easy fix, not not across the board, I think more reparations, but an easy thing is allow black people to change their last name for free legally.
1: Oh yeah, is it not free? Is it cost? It's money? not free.
0: Yeah, it costs money. Oh, okay. Um, in in some states it can cost a lot. So yeah. um, so yeah, we should be just able to be like, you know what, I'm eighteen. Yep. I can make this decision on my own. I don't want to be associated with the people who used to own my and enslave my yeah, ancestors, yeah. you know, wow. even if they're also my ancestors. So on on um, my my paternal great grandmother's side, mm-hmm. her last name is Whiteside. But they're black, the black white side, <laughs> um, but they're from the Whiteside plantation. They're also the descendants of M- Massa. You
1: know, right. Meaning that there is so like intermingling, which I think is yeah. very common. Yeah.
0: So they are like those white people are my ancestors. Same, and yet same on my side. Yeah. I don't want to carry them right. You know, in, in that way. So in changing that name, I think for me, like if, if that was the name I had had, hmm. um, I would have definitely wanted to change that name. In terms of the other name, Franklin, um, which is the name I was born with, the um the Franklin's Yeah. Them too. You know, then they're not as much mixed in, you know, Mm -hmm. genetically, but they, but we still have a name of the people who enslaved our our family. So yeah. So yeah, in that case, I changed it because I just wanted to separate. I, I wanted to separate from like having an abusive father. So claiming myself and claiming my own name yeah. in that case. Um, and mostly I make jokes that Samuel L. Jackson is my father. And um, <laughs> and so he played Nick Fury. And so people make that association. They're like, Oh, your dad. And I'm like, yeah, Nick Fury is my dad, obviously.
1: That's pretty good. Um,
0: and because if it was Jackson, then I would just be trading another plantation name. <laughs> and that might be a little crazy um, yeah. to take the name of someone that I just fictionally describe as my dad. Right. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh So that's yeah. I I wondered about that because I imagine it it creeps up on you on occasion. Where it's just, yeah, yeah. I mean, right? really a lot. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I will
1: and I think what, it's going to happen more once this book comes out. But,
0: I yeah. started to think about like how often I've heard just the instrumental aspects of my life in the sunshine. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. and I'm like, oh man, that must happen so. So frequently. many covers, like,
1: so many samples, so many. TV yeah. Shows,
0: oh my yeah. goodness. Um, and then you also chose the name, your book, that title, which yeah, is very know, right? poignant and interesting to me too.
1: Yeah. Um, it felt it felt like really, because the song is Everybody Loves the Sunshine, the book is My Life in the Sunshine, but that's the first lyric. But my yeah, life,
0: that's, my oh, life. I didn't even think that the title was actually different. I yeah, always think of exactly it as like My, thing, life, but my but life, the way,
1: yeah. I mean, so of course, obviously it's connected to my father, but to me it was like the perfect... Because in the end, the, I mean, I don't have a relationship with my father, but the book has some highs and lows. My life has had some highs and lows, but mostly I'm super grateful to him and glad for all the good things I got from him and ha- a happy person. And so the title to me, I love that it's the song, but it's really, really optimistic. It's my life in the sunshine. It's like yeah. happy, good. Yeah. You know, per- it kind of felt perfect. So,
0: Is he a ghost for you?
1: no he's
0: not so i've
1: never even thought about it that way he's a person who lives three miles away
0: goodness gracious that's (laughs) so wild that's so wild um so you could literally just like be going down to the bodega and be like oh
1: yeah i mean that seems uh, maybe it's fine i mean it's i mean yeah it's the upper west side i think is where he lives which is like you know in manhattan and Mm -hmm. i'm i mean i could i don't know exactly where he lives but i know it's Maybe thirty minutes on the subway. That's a few blocks from here. I was, mean, I was, so I was at Lincoln Center yesterday. That's very close to where okay. it is. you. know, it's yeah. yeah, absolutely not a ghost.
0: Okay. It's yeah.
1: It fe- it feels very real and very present and very like, yeah. I mean, I guess yeah. maybe that's how ghosts feel, but it just doesn't feel imaginary. It feels so real.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um. In the few times that you've gotten a chance to to meet, is I guess I don't. you may not even know how to answer this question because you don't have a different experience. I was going to say, like, does he feel like a relative?
1: I mean, so we met several times when I was a kid, maybe four or five times, some that I don't remember, but my mom or uncle will tell me stories about. But a couple of times that I definitely remember and those times didn't feel like, oh, my father, it felt like, right. oh, cool. This is like another great vibes friend of my mom's or my uncle's who I talked to for three minutes. Like, that's always what it felt like. But so much of that, too. Was my mom and my uncle? I think protecting me. I think they sure. wanted me to meet him when I could for a minute, but it was never brought with lots of like, "This is an important person" because they knew he wasn't going to be in my life. So why? Right. Would he, they didn't want to f- do that to set an expectation so, for you. Like, think- yeah, this is this person, and then we'd leave, and it wasn't like, "So, what did you think about your father?" It was like, "So, what movie do you want to go to?" Like, okay. It really, never had a lot of gravity. And so, when I finally met him as an adult, I reached out when I was in my 30s and actually got a hold of him. And we had this incredible lunch in Seattle for, I don't know, an hour or two. And really, like I took notes and like, really, we sat across from each other. Mm. And that's when I finally did feel like family. I wouldn't say he felt like my father, but like I noticed Irrelevant. mannerisms and the way he laughed and certain things mm. that was just mind blowing. Like, wow, that's, I would say exactly that or I would move exactly like you just moved. And yeah. I didn't get it from being around you. I just got yeah. it blood it's really crazy
0: that stuff is very strange because my my father uh died when i was 21 but my brother has his voice wow. and i didn't i never made that connection until we moved apart and i'm talking to my brother on the phone and for a second i'm like reminding oh, myself whoa. like he's dead he's dead it's okay, like. Um, and he, my brother, also has his laugh. I have a, I have the cadence of his laugh, but not the the sound. Mm. And my my brother has the sound. So there's times wow. when it's just like it's really weird. Um, and then my my husband is uh, his biological father. We met as adults, and then we met his half siblings as well because he didn't grow up knowing him either. Mm. And um, the like physically, the way him and his half brother move, or uh, yeah. Like him and his father have like a mark in the exact same spot on their Whoa. face and stuff so like like there's weird things like that where you're just like you just see so many things that you didn't have access to and it's weird that yeah. that that shines through the DNA.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So like with your mom, does she, how would she describe you as mixed or yeah.
1: she would say racially racially mixed is what racially she mixed say. is yeah. how she did it. Uh. huh
0: um was it just was it just roy or was it i wanted a child
1: it it was i mean i've talked to her so much about this in the last couple of years it was it was that she wanted a child she was she would walk around new york kind of lonely kind of lost she, you know she was working as a waitress and new york was super cheap then she had a great cheap apartment in the village she'd walk around and according to her she would stop in front of like schools and playgrounds and just watch kids and mm. think like. I want to be a young single mother. And then my uncle, her brother, Alan, had met Roy just a couple times through music. So they're both musicians. And my mom and my uncle were at some club. This is right at the beginning of the book. So maybe you read yeah. this part. At some club read and, and they run into Roy and my uncle introduces them. And my mother just says to herself, that's the that's person I'm going to have a kid with.
0: Hmm. Was it his talent, talent or just? she, did she just, her, just
1: like the whole thing, just like the whole package charisma magnetism kindness all you know all the great things
0: does she ever talk to you about what you remind her of
1: not not much i mean weirdly they didn't have it wasn't like a relationship right they, like, yeah
0: it's just a few I times think, a...
1: hung out in air quotes a few times over the course of a year so it's not like she spent enough time with him to maybe even see that in me mm. weirdly Interesting. Yeah.
0: It's so wild. I mean, I know it's your story and I'm accessing it just through a couple of chapters so far, but, um, it like, it's interesting, like to think about my, my 14 year old mother making a decision, such a huge adult decision, right? Like so uninformed and just like, just go for it. I'm just going to have a baby. But you said something about like having a friend. My, that's something that was with my mom too, is like, I was, a like a dress-up doll until I spoke, and then once yep. I spoke, things got real, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's like, she's like, "I, you've been judgmental since the day you were born." And I was like, "Well, I mean, A dress-up
1: doll." Um, but yeah, what, I mean, that's what like,
0: I think it was like. Like I was like a living doll, probably. That's so
1: funny. So there's, I mean, of course, there's a lot of stuff that's not in the book, but there was there's a big section about uh, right after my mom had me, brought me home, and she's like, and then I just started dressing you up, and just like describing the outfits and. <laughs> <laughs> it's very similar <laughs>
0: it's good like especially for a young mom i mean i think yours was in your 20s She was like early 20s or something. Canada, yeah. um so yeah just like it's just like what do you do with this blob of person right. just like sitting in front of me that doesn't have a personality yet like i'm just gonna put clothes on it right like Beat that's what i'm gonna do yeah. um yeah it's so wild so um how does your uh i feel like this happens a lot and with um the way we date or the way we find partners um do you think about had you thought about race or or your race or what your children if you were going to have children might um be like based off of your mix and stuff
1: yeah I mean my my wife is white Jewish from Los Angeles pretty pretty pale dark hair people always think she's Japanese she wishes she was Japanese Oh wow! (laughs) but I've thought I mean we don't have kids but we've we've talked about it it's possible I'm not sure but uh but I've absolutely thought about what they might look like and it's great I mean they, they could turn out black. Yeah, that happens. Yeah, right? you get a throwback. More likely, th- they would be pretty Jewish. <laughs> At least yeah. three quarters. Yeah, that's quite a bit of jewish in there. Jewish. But, but, uh, but I've absolutely thought about that, and that that would. Who knows, right? I mean, you don't know until the kid comes out what it's gonna yeah look like, what it's going to take on.
0: Yeah, it's 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 weird. My my so I have another podcast called Blurred Comics, and uh my. My co host on that is uh, a, a mixed friend from my childhood. We were both military kids. We grew up on mm-hmm. the same base uh, black, white, biracial, uh, Italian mom, black dad. And uh, his kids are, his wife's Mexican, but she looks white. He's got one very obviously black daughter and one very obviously white daughter, but they're biologically the same. Same,
1: same parents, same, kid. same,
0: parent, same kids. Same parents, same kids. One's blonde and white, and one's black like it's just that
1: was did you ever watch the jeffersons in the 70s Mm -hmm. remember that show george jefferson so their next door neighbors in the show was a black guy or sorry white guy black black woman with two Mm -hmm. kids and the two kids were very black and very white and that was like a thing in the show, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. I really like that they did that. I mean, I know it's it's so weird to think that there was actually a little bit more representation for right. for us when we were younger than what I feel yeah, like I've yeah. experienced as I've gotten older. Um, but yeah, that that's like really important that that there was but a what, black. Woman what's always
1: hard life. is that like, but it was an issue, and they talked about it, and it was a plot line. What would have been? I mean, you wouldn't expect this in the '70s or even now, but what would have been more powerful? Is that they just didn't talk about just it just left it alone yeah people. yeah
0: it just was what it was yeah.
1: yeah
0: yeah i i do i remember i remember that and i i remember when lenny kravitz started to become lenny kravitz being yeah. like oh that's that lady's kid like i just remember right. like being excited totally that like her life was similar mm-hmm. i guess somehow to the show like that she had a half jewish right child right and something
1: like that <laughs> that's funny, um
0: yeah. I don't know why that was important to me. But again, I think you mixed. You just kind of dig for it. Yeah, we're else.
1: totally just like hanging on.
0: Yeah. OK, so the question that I do ask oh, all yeah. of my guests, because I didn't realize we like blew past my normal mark, um, <laughs> which right. which just happens. I, I like to talk and you, you, uh, you are great to talk to. Uh, but I do like to ask all of my guests what they love most about being mixed because sometimes we deal with a lot of trauma-based conversations and on this Mm -hmm. show and and things like that. In your case, it doesn't seem like there was, there was a a mixed trauma necessarily just living your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But what do you love most about being a mixed person?
1: I think it's related to what you just said. I mean, what I like most about being mixed is, is at least, and I can't, this obviously isn't for everybody. This is for me in my particular situation, but being able to really, in a way fit in everywhere Mm -hmm. because I don't really fit in any place specific, if that makes sense. So like, you know, I, I might not, this is maybe the childhood, but I might not feel connected to the white kids or the black kids or the Puerto Rican kids, but I can kind of hopefully talk to all of them because I don't, there's not a logical place for me to go silo off. So it's allowed me to kind of navigate in a more interesting open way. And I love that. I've always loved that. And luckily I've been, lucky 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 enough to be in places where I've been accepted where it hasn't mm-hmm. been like no go over there with the black kids or yeah. no you can't come over here because you're mixed so that obviously I know people go through that and that sounds really hard but I've been lucky enough to have my mixedness be an asset I think
0: yeah no that's good that. I'm 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 happy to hear when it's when it's positive stories all around yeah. um like I don't really feel like I'm necessarily traumatized by my my mixedness either um i do understand that it's moments of acceptance and moments of non-acceptance and stuff like that but the way it affects me is different depending on the race of the person who is accepting or not accepting yeah me. yeah um,
1: I, mean, I, sp- I spent a lot of time though and i realized most of this while writing the book i spent a lot of time preemptively worrying about things that didn't happen and Mm. i probably still do like that i talk about like you know going to dating in high school like going to like proms and things like that you know which were almost or or always white girls because that's yeah that's what you had access to yeah (laughs) and and always being so so nervous when i would go even if it was someone i knew well it wasn't like a girlfriend but just like you know friend from school or whatever going up to their house getting out of the car, knocking on the door, knowing I'm going to meet her parents and her little mm-hmm. brother and whatever. Yeah. And is someone going to say something or are they going to say like, oh, actually she's, she's not doing well. She's sick. Right. You know? And it never happened, but I spent a lot of time preparing. Oh, for and even that takes a lot of energy.
0: Yeah. What do you think made you, did you have experiences that gave you that? Cause not,
1: what? not that I can remember. I think I was just like taught not by my mom, but like taught by the world that that happens.
0: Yeah, I and guess it, so.
1: Yeah, you can spend a lot of energy worrying. And I, I definitely did. And still, I just don't do that to a degree. I think sometimes like, huh, what are they going to think of me when I show up? Sure. I, think I mean, I we do don't think that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I found myself. So when I lived in L.A., I lived in the near Sawtell area. So like the Japanese community, the smaller Japanese community mm-hmm. in L.A. Um, and there I was like, I want to move here and try to embrace my Japanese-ness and get embedded and stuff like that as black as hell. now I moved to Houston and I live in the third ward, which is a historically black community. And somehow I turned into a little old Japanese lady. I don't know what happened. I don't like, I can't like, it's like my body did it to me and made me not, you know, (laughs) not fit the mold, even though like I crave being around black community more than I crave any other community. Right. Um, But yeah, I turned into just a little, little like whatever a 44 year old grandma is (laughs) is <laughs> young grandma. This is the vibes. That's the vibes right here. <laughs> nice. Um, Japanese grandma. Um, So yeah. Okay. So I didn't ask this question and we are going to wrap up, but it just popped into my head that I didn't mm-hmm. ask it because this is something that does come up. Has your mom ever been asked if you were adopted?
1: Oh yeah. That's that's you're coming up on that in the book.
0: <laughs> okay. I'm about to hit that one. Yeah, okay.
1: she, so she, she. When I was a baby, she only told me this recently, but when I was a baby, she lived in Greenwich village in New York, mm-hmm. which is like pretty like hippie. Neighborhood mm-hmm. in the 60s and 70s, but but traditionally very Italian. That's where the first Italian immigrants of New York really settled. So very Italian neighborhood. And uh, and she said that everyone on her block was great, very Italian block, very safe block, they're very protective of her, but that that all the moms and all the women always said, like, oh, what a beautiful adopted baby. And they didn't
0: adopt That's what was interesting to
1: me is the way she talks about it, they didn't say, Oh, is your baby adopted. They said it as a statement. They said, "What a beautiful adopted baby!" Almost. uh, This is now we're just getting into my head, and I wasn't. Well, I was there, but I wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, to me, it's like when you say that, you're almost. It's almost them saying, like, "Oh, it's okay. You're doing something nice." It's almost something you're doing. Yes. Something like that. And I'll just say it that way because I don't want to ask because then I might have to get the answer, and then there might be a problem, and I don't want to get it. So I'll just say, "What a beautiful adopted baby!" Right. Like a weird.
0: That's yeah, true. she she
1: also told me we ended up moving uh, to Cambridge, which was great when I was like two or something like that. But she said that her plan was that we could not be on that block after I turned five. That's when mm. I would turn into a young black boy, and that would right. not
0: be good. That would be so different. was fine story. while I
1: was a baby, and then it would change at some point, And she was going to get me out of there before that.
0: Yeah, no, it seems Crazy. like she's really protective of those moments. Yeah, because um, yeah, that, that's what I've heard from other people who, if they have a white mom and they're obviously brown, uh, the moms are almost applauded for the nob- yeah. noble thing they did exactly. of you know this poor brown child. And on the reverse of that is if their mother is brown or black or just yeah. basically non-white, it's... Um, that's the nanny. The nanny. <laughs> the nanny, yeah. And it's so like it's so ridiculous that it's just so easy to nail. Like you just know it's coming. Like yeah. you know that's how people are are gonna assume, mm-hmm. which is or, or so-
1: it's to like get the cops called on you at the grocery store or whatever. Yeah, because for kidnapping, though, right yeah. <laughs> It's
0: like, geez, it almost just
1: bums me out when people have the same thoughts like these because they're yeah. terrible thoughts. Yeah,
0: because yeah, it's the worst. It's like you you hope you're shedding light, but really yeah. you're just like oh, yeah, we're just too, huh? talking yeah. about. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess that's that's life. So, yeah, it is what it is. Um, yeah, that sucks. Well, I am so grateful that you reached back out and that we were able to reconnect. Me I too. I, been great I felt like Thank there you. was a good vibe between us and our emails before. And so I'm really, really glad that we did get to connect. Um, yeah. Great to have a conversation with. I appreciate it. and um like i said when i when i read your kind of opener section of the book i, I, I is that the prologue part or is that the yeah that,
1: that straight out of compton part is like the yeah the yeah like
0: it, it brought up intro. so much stuff for me too that it, it's just like i'm like that was such a good way to get me hooked in uh, no, into it so Thank i you. i really did enjoy what i've read so far i'm i am going to finish it uh right. so why don't you let everybody know how to find you if you want to be found how to get your book and uh yeah
1: I mean, my, my name is Nabil Ayers. It's N-A-B-I-L-A-Y-E-R-S. And that my website is com. All the socials are at Nabil Ayers. Uh, And the book is called My Life in the Sunshine. It's out June 7th with Viking and it's, it'll be available everywhere. I would recommend getting it from great black owned bookstore, like the one you mentioned, which one yeah. is
0: that? Uh, so it's Kindred Stories here in Houston, Texas. It's owned um, by uh, Terry Uh amazing organizer of all kinds of events for for black women in particular but black people in general um and their their bookstore is great so i yeah, usually no. recommend kindred Kindred stories, kindred stories. and it's kindred stories h htx.com i believe is, uh, is houston, the website yeah because we're in houston texas but again yeah we always do try to support the indie um indie owned bookstores and stuff like that so if you I'll put some links in the show notes for y'all, but if you have a local Black-owned, Brown-owned, queer-owned, femme-owned, you know, whatever uh, bookstore, please do place your orders there, because it's supporting the community.
1: Awesome. This has been great. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you. I really appreciate you. Militantly Mix is a Main Hustle Media podcast. Produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan The One. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantly mixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self.